hello there. <laughs> Welcome in to another episode of Streamer Season, the exclusive streaming platform TV and movie podcast on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. It's KB and Dylan coming at you from all over the galaxy, the Upside Down, and Jersey City. Uh, we got a lot to dive into as I just listed off the scenes for the shows we'll be talking about in depth this episode. Obi-Wan Kenobi's finale. Crazy to think the show has come yeah. to a close for this season, allegedly. Uh, we're going to get into Stranger Things Volume 1 from Season 4, Episode 7, that finale. Uh, and Miss Marvel Episode 3, which this episode alone for Miss Marvel has me very excited for where Phase 4 is going in the MCU. And the wildness of this episode had me my brain just looking like the Zach Galifianakis gif that everybody uses when they're trying to quantify absolutely anything. And of course, we'll get into the streaming platform multiverse news and notes because there's a lot of things that are either going to make Dylan question uh, Hollywood or find him, as Dan Levitard's dad once said, very intrigued. Um, but before we get started, make sure you're following us on the socials. We had a bunch of uh, Twitter followers this weekend. Awesome. A lot of uh, Twitch graphic designers probably thinking we're a streamer twitch streamers um but nonetheless hope you like tv and movies because that's what we're here for at streamer szn on twitter and instagram follow dylan on twitter at dylan mazzola follow me at kbizzl311 check out the website undergroundsportsphiladelphia.com for all of our written content subscribe to the podcast feed apple podcast spotify wherever you get your podcast we are there and as dylan always says what can they do in those podcast reviews, brother? I always say that they can leave a review, and in that review, they can leave us a recommendation on what streaming, well, I guess technically what streaming service to use, but in that service, what to watch. Um, Kyle and I can use it for the show, or we can use it for personal use. Uh, doesn't matter, or both. So just let us know. Um, but we, we literally have two shows on the docket that Kyle already explained that are concluding. We are not talking about them next week. They're done. Um and there's going to be a, not a gap because there's, there's some other stuff coming out in the near future, but there's an absence in which we could easily cover another show going forward. So let, let us know. I have been recommended a ton at work, Dylan. I know I'm lacking. I've never watched the boys. So I, need I need to, to get I, on I need that to catch up on the boys. I have watched that. It's a good show. Uh, from what I've watched. Yeah. I've, I've never watched, uh, you know, I tried watching the first episode, like heat of, of the panorama happening. I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit down and watch this. Cause everybody talks about how cool the show this is. And I just wasn't in the right mind frame to, to watch it yet. Uh, the first episode was very good and I just got to sit down and, and watch seasons one, two, and three, but the boys is on my list. Don't you worry. Because apparently season three is just a yeah, firestorm of craziness. The, the most recent episode, I don't, I don't know what days that the show drops. I think it's Fridays. Okay, yeah. So there's the newest one is called Hero Gasm. Interesting. And apparently, like two of the actors, I think literally Carl Urban, I think, and the guy who plays Homelander, mm -hmm. who has literally got arrested in real life. I think they're the two people. Maybe one, maybe one more actor. It's like two or three. They said they're not going to watch it ever again. I was told that so there is a... <laughs> by the fact if three people at your main cast say they don't ever want to watch what they did again, that's, that's wild. What did they do? Well, I mean, I guess if you're an older person, you can guess based upon the name. But nonetheless. Uh, I have been told that there is a scene this season that is the... Um, there, There's drugs involved. 
and it's the reverse of the Ant-Man Thanos theory. If you're oh, yeah, up what yeah, I'm putting down. So if you know, you know, if you're a listener or viewer at home. Uh, but the boys will be added uh, eventually, and, you know, Dylan and I catch up enough on the boys eventually if they keep putting seasons out it'll probably be one of these mainstay shows that we talk about every week Um, we're still on those charts in Austria so shout out to our Austrian (laughs) listeners Uh, but of course subscribe 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 and subscribe to the underground sports Philadelphia YouTube channel where you get full video episodes of streamer season and all of your favorite underground sports Philadelphia shows uh, and in the comments section, you can do the same thing that you do on the Apple podcast reviews. Leave us show recommendations, talk about the shows we talk about on the show, theories, all that good stuff. Comment down below, subscribe, hit the like button, the bell icon, all that good stuff, uh, on the underground sports Philadelphia YouTube channel. Big yeah. thank you to our sponsors who make this show happen. Tomahawk shades, Dylan Tomahawk prescription lenses are available now. Woo-hoo. Go to tomahawkshades.com. Get those prescription Johns. I, I looked it up. They're about the the most high priced class of them. It's about one hundred and forty dollars. But when you use our promo code USP at checkout, you get twenty five percent off your order and free shipping, and that knocks the price down for your prescription tomahawk shades down to one hundred and four dollars. That ain't too bad. Kyle. It's not too shabby. And for somebody who doesn't know too much about the prescription lens game, because thankfully I don't need them yet. Uh, from what I've been told, that's a pretty damn good deal for for some prescription shades. Yeah, no. Uh, I have my pair of glasses, wherever they are. I put them down somewhere. I was falling asleep. They're, they're a couple hundred dollars, so 140 is not that bad. So go to TomahawkShades.com, promo code USP to get those prescription sunglasses, prescription blue light glasses, all that good stuff. TomahawkShades.com, promo code USP. Kenwood Beer, Dylan's favorite beverage of choice. True. When he's on the run from Darth Vader, go to <laughs> KenwoodBeer.com and use the Kenny tracker to see who's got Kenwood Beer on tap in the Philadelphia area. you got to be 21 or older to do so, and please drink responsibly. And, of course, Bino Board. Go to BinoBoard.com. They've been stocking up with accessories, merch, left and right over the past couple days. BinoBoard.com. That's B-I-N-H-O-B-O-A-R-D.com. And use code BinoUSP for 10% off your order at BinoBoard.com. Dylan, hello there. Let's get into the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, This episode, to me, brought it all together. And if we would have just gotten a one-off, you know, piece of content of Obi-Wan, I would have been fine if it was just this. Because I really, really think this episode... They knocked it out of the park and stuck the landing, as so many people have said, uh, in terms of a finale episode uh, in Star Wars, Marvel. Like we, We've talked about it a bunch on this show where it seems like, you know, with the, the d- limited series on Disney+, Plus, they've been having trouble sticking the landing, especially Marvel with some of the shows, for the finale. Um, but I think Obi-Wan Kenobi did a really good job of sticking the landing and putting in, you know, fan service pieces of, of content in this episode across the board. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't hate it. Um, I definitely did not hate it. It could have been worse. I definitely liked the episode. Um, I liked the fight scene. I liked, you know, just, it came to, came to a conclusion. They did so in a, in a fashion in which I guess they could explore the character or characters more. There's just a couple of things, and I'm sure we'll talk about it when we go over, that I just kind of 
disliked. Um, but I guess ultimately it could have been a lot worse. I'm not trying to sound uh, like pessimistic. It's just like Kyle said, with some of the Marvel Disney standalone shows, just, not, just in general, honestly, there's been some really lackluster ever since game of Thrones tanked. Like, I just feel like TV shows have like come to a screeching halt in terms of like the momentum that you build up over the cur- a course of a journey. And it's good when you get treated with something that concludes properly or like, you know, justly. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think the, the, the cinematography choices in this episode were brilliant, especially yeah, I like in the fight that scene. fight scene. The lighting was very nice in that. It was nice. I had chills. Um, so let's dive into it. In Moss Eisley on Dylan's favorite place, Tatooine, uh, the foreman, Groff Ditcher, jumps a queue outside of a beverage stall, and the former Inquisitor, Reva, pushes the man aside and asks about a vendor, a farmer, named Owen Lars. Uh, meanwhile, in space, Darth Vader's Imperial Destroyer, the Devastator, pursues uh, Roken's freight transport, and Roken informs the passengers that the hyperdrive is almost ready and orders that the power be redirected to the rear deflector shields. Again, I feel like... This character's wasted. Yeah, we got, got so <laughs> wasted. <laughs> like, there's so much like, potential for him to be such a good ancillary character, and they just, like... It was that's one of the things I didn't like, because it makes a point. Obi-Wan says, like, you're, there's not many leaders left. You're still a leader. And I'm like... You guys didn't let him. He doesn't do anything. He just just said he's, a couple like cheesy like action movie lines. He's like Kevin in the scene from The Office when he drops the chili. And his character <laughs> made even worse. Yeah, it's a good point. Made even worse his character when he was like, when all of them were upset that Obi Wan was gonna go sacrifice himself, right. and then they're like, "No, you can't." I'm like, "What? You just met him like a day ago, and he got like half your people killed." Yeah. What do you mean? You, you be can't happy. go. You're just gonna save your life. That was that was quite interesting to me. Um, Roken confides with Obi-Wan that the ship's motivator uh, is damaged, and I don't know why you would say that. Obi-Wan is the motivator. Ha-ha! <laughs> um, and they are running out of time. Princess Leia uses her droid Lola to com- uh, comfort Corrin and his mother. I Kenobi frisbee droid, dude. <laughs> <laughs> she was so much better when she was evil. <laughs> Kenobi has an idea and asks Leia if he could borrow uh, her droid. Back on Tatooine, Luke Skywalker and his uncle Owen visit a mechanic to obtain a new belt for their land speeder. A human man named Darden Shull speaks to Owen, telling him that there's something he needs to know. Uh, back on Roken's ship, Leia is upset about Kenobi's plan to leave them in order to draw Lord Vader away, and Corrin's mother reminds him about staying together. Kenobi pleads with Roke and Leia and the other passengers to consider his plan, and he convinces Haja to look after Leia in his absence. I do like Kamel Nanjiani's character, and I would like to see more of him in the Star Wars universe. I agree, too. I kind of want him to get oh, excuse me. explored upon more. It's not in terms of, like, Roku, 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 whatever his name is. It's not, like, wasted. It's just, uh, it's almost the opposite. It's like, we need more of it. Yeah. Because you see him as like a con artist and then he gets, which I don't, I still don't get because he was a shady character, but the, the whole time he's helping people or he chooses, well, no, he like, you know what I mean? It's just weird. Like he chose to help them. It's it's just interesting. I feel like maybe it's just me being like, like nitpicking, but I feel like a lot of the side characters in this entirety of the show 
really weren't developed. Even the Inquisitors, like you, you only know about the Inquisitors if you watched the Rebels show mm-hmm. or read the comics, read the comics books, or played the games. Like if you're a casual Star Wars fan, and I'm not saying that as an insult, like because yeah, I don't keep up with a lot of them out there. I don't keep up with half the stuff. Um, you wouldn't know about any of them, and you kind of really like the um, the three lesser ones or two lesser ones, the brother and the sister. You, mm-hmm. <laughs> they had like probably what, like three minutes of screen time. And I'm not knocking that; it wasn't their show, but also to play into all the upset Karen um, Star Wars fans, Hayden Christensen, Darth Vader got more screen time, but you know we would like to see more of that. So my point is, like, I think there are like things that i would have changed and done differently and i think the number one thing despite anyone's like critiques is i would have developed some of the side characters more <laughs> maybe even our boy uh o'shea <laughs> give him <laughs> dialogue right maybe the girl before she like blew, blew herself up in a hallway our <laughs> boy like, ned <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it was just a bunch of uh a bunch of like characters that just kind of like didn't didn't stick for me and maybe that's why i didn't like the show as much as i thought i would because there was just like my love for Ewan McGregor is strong. He's a beautiful man. Basically Space Jesus. But that's and Hayden Christensen, that's our guy, you know? But that's and I and I, I did I forget her name, but I like the actress who played Reva. Her character came mm-hmm. full circle for me. I think there were four rock star characters that were mainstays in this show. It was the three you just named there, and then I think young Leia was amazing. Yeah. And then it's just like so that's that's a big takeaway in my opinion. Uh, and the last episode kind of concluded that it was something I was thinking about and kind of holding until we do this review. It's just a lot of the side characters were just kind of meh, and that's not really a Star Wars thing because there's tons of movies and shows you and I can name. Anybody listening can name in which you really can't recall a gosh darn side character because they mm-hmm. were also underdeveloped. Uh, and it was only a six episode series, and really none of the episodes were that long, so. I guess we hope they have more content coming after this. So we can explore more characters. That kind of goes with the whole tirade that you and I have had. Like we want to explore the iconic Star Wars characters, but you and I would also like them to like do like some like, not, not like what if, but or maybe, but like something like that where we can see like a character like Reva more or like the character like Roku, like not wasted. Or like you said, I think it's kind of what like Marvel is doing in a sense where, you know, they don't have the big budget to put a full-blown movie about some of these characters, but then, hey, let's put, you know, the installation of them getting a series, and we explore what they've been doing after the Infinity Saga. That's why we got the WandaVision. We, we, why we got the Falcon and Winter Soldier show. Loki. You know, you get some of these fan-favorite characters, and then you get some of these other characters now, especially with, you know, the likes of, of Hawkeye, Moon Knight, and now Miss Marvel, where... Not a lot of people really know about them, but we're going to explore them in depth and let you kind of get recognized with these characters even more. Um, And I think the big thing, too, that a lot of people, like you said, the casual Star Wars fans don't realize that this show was initially supposed to be a movie. And that's kind of like once I remembered and, and saw that, that's kind of how I tried to view this show was kind of through a, a movie lens and I'm just watching it in parts rather than, yeah. uh, you know, a, an episode by episode type thing. But I agree. I think some of the side characters were a little underdeveloped, but then I also view it in the lens of like, yeah, the show is Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's who That's it's going to be about. That's true. But even, 
I don't know. Like, I feel like he got ample screen time, but I guess I'm greedy and I want him to have even more screen time. And I'm not knocking any other characters. Mm-hmm. I like I like some of the characters they introduce. It's just, when you look at it, both sides of that coin, I'm kind of like, meh. But, did you, you know? Did you see uh, Hugh McGregor loved riding that camel creature so much he almost bought a real camel? <laughs> I read that he did have a real camel somewhere. He might have bought, uh, like, he was <laughs> in, like, the space of, like, I want a real one. <laughs> yeah, apparently, he, I, think, I think he adopted it. The one that they that's amazing. That. That's incredible. I was going to anyway. Um. So aboard Roken's ship, uh, Haja spoke to Leia and gives Kenobi space to talk to her. While Leia is upset that Kenobi won't be coming home with her, she reluctantly accepts Kenobi's decision, and he tells Leia to tell her father, uh, Senator Bail Prestor Organa, aka the incomparable Jimmy Smits, uh, about his efforts to rescue her. Kenobi also hands Leia the late Tala Durth's empty gun holster as a parting present. Uh, the two embrace, and Leia tells Kenobi to come back before leaving. He resolves to face Vader one more time, even if it leads to his death. And as Kenobi heads to the dropship, Roken tries to reason with him again, saying that they can fix the hyperdrive, and Roken accepts Obi-Wan's decision, realizing that the Jedi has unfinished business with Lord Vader. Before leaving, Kenobi tells Roken that the Rebellion needs more leaders like him. Uh, Kenobi Cringe. flies the dropship out of Roken's uh, freighter and drawing the attention of the Imperials who detect one life form aboard. The Grand Inquisitor counsels Lord Vader to continue their pursuit of the path ship, uh, opining that they should not prioritize one Jedi. I didn't Jedi. like that either, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that made no because sense. If you, like Kyle and I have done research, and like like I said, if you, if you know a little more, you would know that like... <sighs> If you're the Inquisitor, you don't talk to Darth Vader like that. He fucking he, he'll bar my French, but he'll 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 whoop that ass. So, yeah, I'm you know, a fire in my lightsaber. Yeah, like, you know, it's just it'd be the same thing. It'd be like if you have a strict boss and any anybody listening, any of our jobs, current or past, you know there's certain things you can say or can't say and can't do, and that's the same kind of vibe. Like Darth Vader's a very strict, very anger, very he's uh, you know he's triggered easily. He's a he's he's kind of a bad boss. He'd be on that show, <laughs> undercover boss. Bad boy, bad boy. Uh, I'm the radar technician, Matt. Uh, no, but like my point is that was another little thing. Well, it's little, but it was it was I was just like, there's no way. Like normally he would force choke this guy or stab him, like Kyle said, or he stab that other stomach. <laughs> I guess maybe they're going for like um, the narrative that like they respect each other, but in Rebels, the Grand Inquisitor fails and literally kills himself because yeah. he's so terrified of Darth Vader. In season one, that does not <laughs> Darth Vader. We can't follow the ship. That's not the same vibe, bro. No. How, how are you gonna make him canon and then like do? It's just I don't know. Top bins, top tier commentary. Top drawer, upper 90. You already know. You already know. I think that's how it always goes. We went like 45 minutes and we were at like Chelsea. (laughs) What are we doing?
Um, I'm Dominic Ponteri. I am Matt Katsuri. And we are here to talk about Champions League soccer today. Robin's time. What's up? We're back. Vader, <laughs> Vader counters that this is no ordinary Jedi before ordering the Devastator to pursue Kenobi's ship. Uh, at the Lars homestead, the Lars family prepares to face Reva, and Owen warns Luke that the Tusken Raiders are going to attack their farm. Uh... Uncle Owen, I hate to break it to you, that's a little racist, pal. Go and watch the Book of Boba Fett. The Tusken Raiders are very cool people. Um, <laughs> well, certain tribes are, we learned. Not every tribe true. is as open. Very true. Uh, and while they plan to stay and fight, he warns Luke to run if anything goes wrong. Owen and Baru reassure their adopted son that things will be fine. And meanwhile, Kenobi flies his starship to a rocky moon covered with rocky pinnacles. Vader orders his crew to prepare his shuttle and vows to face Kenobi alone. As Vader flies down to the planet to face his former master, Kenobi leaves Lola inside the ship's cockpit. While Reva approaches the perimeter of the Lars homestead, Vader lands his shuttle on the barren moon, and Vader finds Kenobi nearby and asks if he has come to destroy him. Kenobi replies that he will do as he must before lighting his lightsaber. And when that happened, I was like, let's fucking go. Like, this is about to be awesome. That was awesome. And it was awesome when he takes the iconic stance that he does, the lightsaber. Oh, yes. That was, mm. that was fun. Make poses with me. Um, Vader vows that Kenobi will die and the two engage in a lightsaber duel. Uh, that duel was unreal. Like, that's like peak Star Wars. It is peak Star Wars, and, and, and I, whether you like the new movies or not, I'm, I'm not here to debate that. As Kyle and I know we've talked <laughs> about that before. I've shared my passion or lack of passion for them, except for um, Babu Frick. Babu Frick. Uh, no, the lightsaber duels. But you can't sit here and tell me the lightsaber duels in the new trilogy compare to anything we saw. And I mean, granted, in the older movies, there's not that much of a duel, but even there, and even in the ones we saw growing up as kids, the lightsaber action is a bazillion times better. And even in the animated shows, granted, it's animated, so you have a little more like liberty to make them look cooler. The animated lightsaber duels are fucking awesome. Yeah, and you would think that maybe going forward they learn their lesson, and because the whole Revenge of the Sith, both actors had to learn how to choreograph. And mm-hmm. like sword fight, and they train for months and months and months, and they learn. It's like it's like dancing essentially. They learn how to dance with one another to the to where, I mean, when Obi Wan and Darth Vader fight a Mustafar, I'd argue that's like top ten, like yeah. dual fight scenes, fight in a, scenes ever. In a movie. Yeah, I agree with you. It's so iconic, like just lore wise, not. And my point is, like this fight scene that Kyle just brought up, that channels a little bit of that energy, like. Because it, it feels organic, it feels real. Like the ones in the new movies just felt like they were just swinging the lightsabers around. This feels like a legit, you know, like a fight. Like there, like there's some malice and some intent behind uh, the swings. And I feel like one thing this show did really well was the bounce back, paralleling two events going on at once. Yeah, and we got transition. that during this too, where 
Reva's, you know, going to battle with Owen and Baru while Obi-Wan and Darth Vader are battling each other. And I thought that was a really good counterpart, like, bounce I wish back they were more forth. constant, though, with her power scaling. Because realistically, she should have folded their asses like lawn chairs. Yes. <laughs> that was That was a very fun, sneaky, like, plot piece that Baru is just a fucking badass. She had all those blasters just hidden in their house and everything. Yeah, what we get? We get in the movie about her. What, is, what was her? I would love that. Like an ex clone commando or like Baru the bad bitch. <laughs> Part of the bad batch. <laughs> Coming to Disney Plus this summer. Like Ernie Owen for two for two moisture farmers. They they knew how to properly like. Yeah, and then Owen had, like, that pillar thing that he was, like, going toe-to-toe with Reva's yeah, lightsaber with. Now, I get Reva's probably, like, because they did show this, and I liked it. Owen was, like, taking jabs at her stomach where she was injured before. So yeah. I like that detail to kind of show that she was in a weakened state compared to what she was the last time she was That's uh, true. Mos Eisley. Even a weakened, force-sensitive person who has she has extensive lightsaber training and force training and she's demonstrated the force she's able to stop the the knife or whatever or no throw the knife right she, but whatever yeah. she did in the first yeah point is injured or not she should have been able to really just like take them and whoop but i guess for sake of like plot and they kind of went with like a horror aspect with mm -hmm. the with like the black scaling of the nighttime and like the red contrast of the lightsaber um so like I get that, but my once again like the nerd in me, I was like, I don't know if two farmers with like bolt action laser beams should be able to fend off a, a Jedi hunt or a lizard <laughs> huntress. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, and on the rocky moon, Kenobi is haunted by memories of previous fights with Lord Vader. However, he focuses on memories of Luke and Leia, which he uses to scatter the rocks and debris pinning him down that was wild too like obi or uh darth vader like buries obi-wan alive and i was like oh shit and then he's able to kind of break free and like the rocks you know crumble behind him and then he uses them to you know bash vader down and i thought that was even fucking awesome like that the whole fight scene in totality was so cool just the way that they like you know pieced it together yeah that bothered me at first like vader kept leaving him but they kind of clean it up at the end of the episode and kind of give, I mean, I, I figured that much what they talk about. Um, so I like that. But at first I was like, damn, Lord Vader is like sloppy, bro. It's like the same, it's the same logic in any like movie franchise in the face of the earth. Now, same thing with stranger things. Like when Hopper died, you, you don't see a body. They ain't dead. Mm -hmm. You see the body. It's like Darth Vader, bro. Do not know. Like, you left him in a pile of rocks. What are you, yeah. what are you doing? Like uh, a kid, he's a kid in the sandbox trying to bury a toy. What are, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> Seeing Obi-Wan's powers come back, too, where he, you know, he's able to damage Darth Vader's armor was very unexpected to me. Yeah, that I took as uh, apparently Obi-Wan's supposed to be, I did some, like, nerd research the other day. He's supposed to be, like, one of the more tactical Jedis, I guess. And he's, like, all defense. So it makes sense. Like maybe he realized that's making him breathe or helping him breathe. And that's why, cause he targeted his chest thing mm -hmm. and he targeted his helmet. So when I saw the helmet glowing, I was like, Oh shit. Like we're going to get it. We're going to get a face reveal. <laughs> I love when his helmet gets smashed and you see the glimpse of, uh, what is they do that in uh, the clone wars too. It looks, yeah. It looks pretty sick. 
Um, Rebels, I think, actually. Yeah, I think it was Rebels. Um, meanwhile, Kenobi damages Vader's armor while uh, Luke flees into Beggar's Canyon with Reva in hot pursuit. And uh, Vader's armor and life support system are hit with lightsaber gashes and rocks. And after cornering Lord Vader, Kenobi strikes his helmet, damaging his mask and exposing the left side of his scarred face. Kenobi addresses him as Anakin Skywalker, prompting Vader to respond that Anakin is gone and that he is all that remains. So is Anakin Skywalker, Kang the Conqueror. Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. Um, <laughs> Kenobi is visibly distraught and apologizes to Anakin, and Vader replies that uh, he is not his failure and that Kenobi did not kill Anakin. And Vader replies that he killed Anakin and vows to destroy Kenobi as well. The bouncing back between Hayden Christensen and James Earl Jones' voices in this too was 10 out of 10 amazing. Yeah, I like hearing both of them. I just love the nostalgia of both. They, they both bring the stout. It's like nostalgic punches right to the stomach in the best way possible. Hayden Christensen is Anakin and he is Darth Vader. And then by obviously default and way before him, James Earl Jones is 100% the voice of Darth Vader. So they just mesh very well together. And uh, as Kenobi, you know, uh, I'm sorry, Kenobi responds that his friend is truly dead and hits hits him right where it hurts. Goodbye, Vader. You're not Anakin anymore. You're dead. That was like, ooh, gut punch by Obi-Wan there. Um, and as Kenobi leaves, Vader calls out to him while rising to his feet and Kenobi departs the rocky moon in his starship and we get the, the first part of the iconic Kenobi! We get Obi-Wan! I need somebody to splice that together of <laughs> Darth Vader yelling that and then Darth Maul yelling Kenobi. Um, that was very, very cool. It was very cool. It was just cool to see how much anguish and built up anger tension that Anakin has towards Obi-Wan. And it's kind of closure for Obi-Wan because... Whether or not he truly buys it, it probably helps him hearing, like, oh, well, you know, you're not the only reason, like, I went evil and killed a bunch of kids. Like, I wanted to do it. You know, like, I chose to go down this path. Like, you're, you know what I mean? Like, you are the downfall. And then when you see that and realize, like, this guy's, this guy's crazy, then Obi-Wan's probably like, oh, shit, I, he's crazy. And now we get a little more, like, it makes it a cooler scene from the original trilogy when Darth Vader and Obi-Wan are, are dueling right before Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan and Darth Vader's like, now I am the master. Like this kind of gives you yeah. more context but to that. There's also a line in the third, well, it's two, <laughs> Jesus, I'm tired. In the third one uh, where Luke's battling him on the uh, Death Star, mm -hmm. the second Death Star. Cause remember our tax dollars went to that thing twice. Uh, yikes. If you're a Star Wars citizen, <laughs> Yikes, gas prices through the roof. Through the roof. And I don't know verbatim what he says, but it's it's essentially along the lines of like Obi-Wan. It's when Anakin asked him, or Anakin, when Luke asked him to like join him or come with me, father. Mm -hmm. And he's like, Obi-Wan tried to do the same thing. And that's what we saw. So I was playing it back to that. Yeah. There like, were a lot of parts him. of this show that fill in a lot of gray areas from the original uh, trilogy. And I like that about this show, too. I agree. Um, so we get that, and then we get, uh, you know, Reva going back and forth in her mind, you know, actually having a soul. She finds, you know, Luke laying down, 
and uh you know she's she's ready to swing that thing on him and, and murder our boy luke skywalker but then she sees her young self and bounces back to order 66 once again and she just can't do it dylan she just can't kill luke skywalker i mean i understand this but isn't it implied she's killed other force sensitive people to get to the position that she was at so it was ironic that's kind of not her fault it's kind of plot hole in my mind i was like it's where you draw the line i was like but maybe she just feels like do you think she knows she didn't do it because she knows it's a skywalker she 100 percent knows it's a skywalker from getting that you know the thing at the end of episode five from Obi-Wan. I think she either knows it's a Skywalker or to go on my other point, maybe she never killed a force sensitive person like that young. Maybe they were like similar ages to the one that we saw die trying to talk to Obi-Wan early mm -hmm. on in the series. So maybe like just the sheer factor of her killing someone who's the same age as her when she was getting <laughs> destroyed by the youngling killer 3000. Um, Maybe, you know what I mean? Maybe it's just kind of like a trigger to PTSD. Yeah. So I guess it's probably one, it's maybe a combination of one of those. You know what I mean? Either she knew and didn't want to do it, or it just triggered like uh, a bad reaction in her brain, being that she literally was stabbed as around the same age by the dude's dad. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, she lays her double bladed spinning lightsaber down. Obi Wan reassures her that they're both free. Where do you think this leaves Reva in? The galaxy far far away in terms of moving See, forward that is the other plot hole that i don't necessarily like because if she spared him because she knows she's a skywalker that means someone else knows the secret because it said and that means she's just alive out there now i don't know what she's gonna do either she can't she left her lightsaber so she's for all for all intents and purposes is it just is it their way of just writing off the character and then if that's the case, then what was the point of the character? If it's 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 like Catch Twenty Two. It's like why would you yeah. have this character go through all this? Like that's a cool idea. Like they secretly want to kill Darth Vader, Anakin Skywalker, so they become bad in order to get their chance to seek revengeance for like the Jedi friends they lost. And they don't do any of that. They they try. They get bodied, and they try to kill a kid. Don't kill the kid, and then realize their failed ways and walk off into the sunset of Tatooine like just become a just become a, a moisture farmer is she gonna go yeah. play with the uh with the cantina people like, doo, 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 doo. like she's on tour she's opening for Max Rebo yeah yeah her and Max Rebo are now like they're not like but you know, you know like you know what I mean though like that's the know. confusing part of it's, you know where does Reva go from here and they have to tread lightly because if they bring her back like the points after the show are already set in motion because mm -hmm. we've seen that like that's so my point is she can only fit in like a small way of going forward there's not much room in between what ended and what happens what we've seen so i feel like if you see her again it's going to be like some standalone thing which i wouldn't but, hate i wouldn't hate either it would have to be the right story character did well enough critically uh, I don't know if the show did well enough for you guys. I have to even look to like warrant her to get a spinoff. Yeah, that's going to be, be the. I, I think that's my biggest like question walking away from this. And I know that a bunch of the cast and you know production people are are open to a season two. I don't know where you take her in season two. 
Yeah, it's also like with season two, what do you do? Like season two just seems more like okay, let's fill in that final gray area of Obi Wan getting trained by Force Ghost Qui Gon Jinn and him learning the Force Ghost ways, and then we see how he turns old. Yeah, there's a sand. <laughs> exactly, but that wouldn't make necessarily that that that, that could be like a like a two a one off, yeah. A two episode like mini short series, you yeah. Know, that's like, like a holiday hours. special thing. Well, that could be a movie. That could be like a two hour yeah. hour and a half movie, and then boom. Uh, I'm very intrigued to see how you're going to feel about this next portion of the episode, uh, because at Fortress Vader, uh, as they call it, the repaired Darth Vader informs Darth Sidious. This motherfucker keeps popping up every which way. Uh, that he has dispatched probe droids to hunt down Kenobi. The Emperor notices that Vader is agitated and questions whether his apprentice is affected by his feelings for his former master. Vader responds that Kenobi means nothing and reaffirms his loyalty to his Sith master. And Vader sits on the throne. His theme music plays, which was very, very cool. I I can't stand fucking Palpatine showing up in every Star Wars project. Lord Vader. Tell me I am your daddy. Do it. Do it. Um, I get tired of him too. Uh, but at the same time, unfortunately, he is kind of, I don't want to say needed, but he's needed because he's like, oh, I like, he's like the, he's like a pivotal piece in Star Wars and in, in terms of like, that's just how it is. Like, mm-hmm. especially the time period we're in right now. And he often, he often, yeah, exactly. He often, uh, reminds Lord Vader, which he does in the scene, like, bro. Like, you work for me. I don't work for you. Like, the suit that Darth Vader wears is explicitly designed to not allow him to reach full potential. And it's also designed to hurt him. Ever since he failed, it's a popular theory. I think it's kind of confirmed. I don't know if it's, like, actually said. But, like, ever since he failed, it gets fucking... It gets, uh, gets knocked down a few inches, so to speak, thanks to Obi-Wan. Um... <laughs> Palpatine does not view him as a prized, like, uh, protege, mm-hmm. and his life is even more misery, like, stricken because of that, and that's everything that adds up to that, because he's you, you view him as a failure. Granted, he realizes he's still a very strong tool, but it is, it is the Sith. They're always trying to overthrow each other. That's why the whole Force Unleashed games that anybody listening, you probably played it when you were a kid, is not considered canon technically anymore, but the whole plot of that game is Darth Vader secretly clones some Jedis and he raises them to potentially overthrow the Emperor. So it's not a healthy relationship. It's not at all a healthy relationship. And that's why he's in there. That's my whole my whole point. It's just to show how like much they don't like each other. And yeah. it's just kind of like a mutual thing at this point. Um, I do agree. He pops up and he's annoying. That's kind of the reason why I feel like he like he's part of the reason why the last Star Wars trilogy sucked because yes, hundred percent agree. They randomly pulled him out of a hat and they were like, "He's still alive!" And then they're like, "Shocker! This woman, the main character, is also related to him." But like and now she's a Skywalker, <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna make this really good character that's written really good sacrifice himself for this character. That's yeah. It's just like it was just a mess and. Yeah. Uh, so no, you're right. I don't necessarily like it. I saw uh, him. I saw him on the hologram thing. I said, "Son of a bitch." <laughs> he's iconic, though. Oh, a hundred percent iconic. It's just like one of those things where it's like, do we really need more of this guy? Uh, 
we get more scenes on Alderaan with uh with Leia getting dressed up in her uh her foreshadowing outfit there. Yeah, and then, that, that was cool foreshadowing. Uh, that was cool. Then we get her John Williams theme. Cue the tears. I was, I was, that was like a goosebumps moment. We get the John Williams Leia theme. That's the last um, we see of Alderaan. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. And uh, we get Kenobi showing up, doing the thing. You know, hey, I left my hoodie at your house. I got to come pick it up. I left my droid with you. I got to come bring it back. Um, and we get a nice little, you know, dialogue between young Leia and Kenobi. And, oh, honey, the question she asks, will I ever see you again? Yes, uh, you will. Briefly. <laughs> in, in a very similar setting. Um, <laughs> and Leia asks Kenobi what she, what he should do now. And Kenobi decides uh, he should rest after all their adventures. And they laugh. And then Obi-Wan flies off. And then Kenobi tells uh, Leia that she is wise discerning kind-hearted which he describes as qualities from her mother uh and he also describes leia as passionate fearless and forthright which he attributes to her father very fun he's obviously talking about hayden christensen and natalie portman uh and young leia thinks that he's talking about mom and dad organa um kenobi tells leia that she can turn to him for help it stresses the need to be careful and leia and her adoptive parents watch kenobi as he deports or departs on his ship <laughs> deports deports <laughs> uh back on tatooine kenobi departs his cave with a toy in his rucksack uh and he rides his little camel eopi towards the lars homestead where luke is playing and owen asks what kenobi's doing there Kenobi asks, uh, accepts that Luke should be allowed to grow up like any ordinary boy. Uh, he also allows Owen to remain Luke's protector, which he vows to. And Owen allows Kenobi to meet Luke. Hey, hey, Ben, you want to meet him? <laughs> want to buy a death stick? <laughs> After meeting Luke, Kenobi rides uh, back on his Eopi into the desert, but not before we get a hello there. What a fan service moment. That was the best fan service that was like the uh there's been a number of moments uh you know throughout these star wars shows where it's like the the leo dicaprio meme happens it's, he said the thing uh especially in boba with boba fett involved it's like he said it it's like peter griffin he said the thing <laughs> he said it uh and while approaching beggars canyon kenobi is greeted by force ghost Qui-Gon Jinn, his former master. We get Liam Neeson after all of our, our trials and tribulations with Obi-Wan. Kenobi is surprised to see his former master. So are we, Obi-Wan. We were surprised to see Liam Neeson pop up as well. Uh, yeah, but he's had some controversies lately, and I was just surprised to even see him. I was happy yeah. to see him. Qui-Gon replies that uh, he was just not ready to see him, but he had been there the whole time. Really, Qui-Gon? Where were you? We didn't see you at all, pal. Uh, I guess we weren't ready either. Like the whole time? Like when his student overthrew him and killed a bunch of children? Or like after that? <laughs> where? What, what's the time frame here? Yeah, uh, how long were you watching? Uh, Qui-Gon says that he still has some distance to travel before the two continue their journey through Beggar's Canyon. And then we cut to credits. Beggar's Canyon. Beggar's can't be choosers. Dylan, this show... Had its ups, it had its downs. I think, um, you know, it's there were a theme though with a lot of the Disney standalone shows. There's been very few that have been like rock solid throughout, and I think we can agree. It's you know the Wandavisions, the Moon Knights, the Lokis, like, yeah, and then obviously the Mandalorian. But 
there's been some ups, there's been some downs. Um, but I think overall this show did a, a pretty solid job of filling in that gray area in between, uh, you know, the, the prequels, the sequels, and parts of the animated shows. Yeah. Uh, but for the first time since Star Wars Day, may the fourth be with you, we have not only our review for episode six, but for an entire series. Yes, uh, so Dylan, for episode six, or part six, I should say, since they broke it into parts for this show, uh, what would you give your score for part six of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Like a 7.9 for the last episode. I was uh, I was a big fan of the fight scene and the dialogue in that scene. Oh, I, the fight scene, the fight scene's like a 10. It's oh, yeah. The, the one part that like really caught my eye was when Anakin Vader is illuminated blue for that split second. And then it cuts to the red. That was just brilliant job by whoever the cinematographer was, whoever the lighting director was. Um, I, I liked a lot of the dialogue in this episode. I think it, it flowed very well. Um, there's been some episodes in this series that it's been kind of like up and down with the flow. I think the flow really w was well done in this episode. The bounce back parallels of, of multiple events happening at one time, I think throughout this show was fantastic and it didn't stop here. Um, I think the biggest question is just like, what the hell happens to Reva now? And uh, so I'm going to give episode six, I'm going to give it an 8.6. Um, I think the fight scene really elevates it for me. The yeah. fan service, seeing Liam Neeson, I think is huge. And it, uh, it kind of leaves the door open for a season two. What that is, who knows? That remains to be seen if it even happens. But nonetheless, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a series, Dylan. To recap, we've we've been keeping track of our series so we can go back at the end of this year and recap the best yeah. shows and movies that we've watched so far. We have The Book of Boba Fett, Peacemaker Season 1, uh, Daredevil from when I did my full-blown watch, uh, and then Moon Knight. Dylan, your score so far this year, Book of Boba Fett got a 7 out of 10 from you, 9.5 out of 10 for Peacemaker, 9 out of 10 for Daredevil, and a 9.1 out of 10 for Moon Knight. So where does uh, Obi Wan okay. Kenobi? So, Obi Wan's not going to be in the nines, but it's not going to be as low. It's better than it's better than the book of Boba Fett. I agree, hundred percent. But I, I, I don't want to give it too high of a score. I, honestly, I think I would go with like seven point nine again for like a uh, a season and for the whole series. And I, I think it's a pretty reasonable score from from my because I was skeptical on several episodes. So I feel like if I sat here and be lying if I said nine because I've you know uh, voiced my concern with several things, but seven point nine is still admirable. It's almost an eight. It's not bad at all. Yeah. So my scores, I gave the book of Boba Fett an eight point four out of ten. I gave Peacemaker season one a nine point four out of ten. Daredevil a nine point five out of ten, and Moon Knight a nine point seven out of ten. Peacemaker just caught our heart. If you don't remember. Oh yeah. <laughs> Peacemaker was Chef's kiss. Gif. Moon Knight caught us, too. That's both of yeah. us giving it a 9. And obviously Daredevil, both of us got 9s on that, too. Um, but that was for all three seasons yeah. put together. Obi-Wan, I'm going to give it an 8.8 .8 out of 10. I, I think there were parts of this show that were awesome. Um, there were moments that we weren't expecting cameo-wise. Like, we got Flea in Star Wars. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, I think, you know, there were, there were some moments left to be desired with some characters... Uh, but overall, I think it was it was a show that like 
you were excited to turn on every week and and see what was going to happen whether it was good or bad um and i think we both can say there was really only like one as a whole bad episode but we understood why and that was episode four because it was kind of just a plot moving episode it was the shortest episode of the season it made sense that that one was quote-unquote bad it definitely had extremely better pacing than the last star wars show we've uh watched together the book about the book of boba fett looking back on it it's, I'm not, it's not the worst thing I've watched, but like... It's a sub-chapter of The Mandalorian. Exactly. It was just like a knockoff brand. It was like the meme where it was like, but, Ma, but son, we have that at home. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, no. Like, yeah, like it introduced some characters that were cool, but overall it was like, this could have just been, you know, you could have combined a bunch of this into two chapters they pro- they of The Mandalorian. Just, they probably just should have got the people who animated The Clone Wars and Bad Batch. And they probably should have just made it like an animated series. They would have saved some budget, and they probably would have did better because they would have been able to explore more. Like for for not for this show, for the book of Boba Fett. But my, but my point is, I did enjoy Obi Wan. Obviously, I gave it almost a whole point higher than yeah. the last Star Wars project, and hopefully, the next Star Wars thing we cover, I go Which higher. I think will be Andor, if I'm not mistaken, in August. That will ironically, that's the one I'm least excited for, and that ironically will probably be the one that I'm rating the highest <laughs> only reason i'm excited is because i remember when they announced that project um they were pumping like movie budget into it which if we've seen star wars movies for the most part in terms of just visually they look great usually yes they look, um, they're sounding and that'll give me a reason to finally sit down and watch rogue one that's the best star wars movie that uh that show ties into it but dylan let's head to the upside down for our final breakdown of volume one for season four of stranger things i love how we did this breakdown too where we were deciding what episodes to do because next week we'll have volume two to talk about which is very exciting uh and we got the the trailer for volume two which looks unreal there's a bunch of fan you know theories and speculations out there my own included but I'll say, episode, mine, I'll say mine when we're done. Well. Episode 7 in Volume 1, titled The Massacre at Hawkins Lab. Um, part 2. Not really. This, <laughs> part 16.9. Uh, <laughs> this episode was great if you were watching it straight through because how Episode 6 ended, it picked up right where... Left I off. actually just watched this last night. Tyler has concluded his there we go. Stranger Things journey. Nice. He's done. So did the OG. The OG is finished. Right. So I watched it just last night. <clears throat> I must have fell asleep when I watched it because I think I binged this show. And I was watching it with Tyler. There's a couple scenes where I'm like, I don't remember that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, cool, I guess. Uh, so in the Upside Down, Steve is getting mauled by the Demobats. Uh, but gets saved by Nancy, Robin, and Eddie, who engage in, uh, you know, combat with the aggressive species. Talk about awesome fight scenes. This was great. I loved these four kind of just, like, whacking the shit out of these Demobats together. And just yes. the way that they, like, panned the camera in, like, a circular type situation. Loved this scene. Uh, the group come out as victors, but they start to see hordes of Demobats uh, coming towards their way. Nancy points the group to the forest in order to seek shelter from the brutal assault. Back in the torture room, Agent Wallace collapses from the previous torture session and gives out information on the whereabouts of Eleven on the condition that Lieutenant Colonel Jack Sullivan, that son of a bitch, uh, does not harm the girl. 
in the facility in Nevada, which speaking of Nevada, I want to get this out there, Dylan. Obviously, Kate Bush is running up that hill, has taken the world by storm. Uh, if you anagram it and, you know, break it down into little pieces, running up that hill, the first letter of each of those is Ruth, R-U-T-H, and that is where Eleven's Nina Project is located, Ruth, Nevada. Uh, I saw that on the, the Instagrams and the Twitters recently, and I thought that was pretty interesting. Well, I'll be. I'll be damned. Um, I'll be damned, Kyle. Eleven tries to use her powers on a hashtag, not a sponsor, Coca-Cola can, but fails Owens and Brenner observe the experiment, and Owens urges Brenner to hurry the process as Hawkins is running out of time, and so are they. Afterwards, Brenner tells Eleven that she is blocking the memories of the massacre, which causes regression, and getting her powers back with fear being uh, the big factor in causing it, and urges Eleven in confronting with the truth without running away from it. And afterwards, Eleven goes back to Nina, with Brenner picking out footage of what had happened during the day in 1979, to further up the process as per Owen's demand, which is what we saw in the first eight minutes of episode one was the murder murder, uh, back at the Wheeler house, Max Lucas and Dustin are questioned by pal and Callahan about what they were doing in lovers Lake. Yo, why is the assistant deputy (laughs) so sassy? He's great. He's funny, but he is so sassy for no reason. It's like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have questioned her first. She's She's mean. mean. (laughs) Uh, they ask about the whereabouts of Nancy in relations to Eddie, but their lies are pointed out by Erica, much to Dustin's iration, uh, or irritation, I'm sorry, I can't read, uh, <laughs> and the parents' obliviousness of the situation. This triggers a massive conflict between the parents, the kids, and the officers, to which Powell shuts it down and suggests that they interrogate each kid one at a time and direct Max to be the first to her disbelief. Elsewhere in the Upside Down, Nancy, Steve, Robin, and Eddie traverse through the forest grounds and take shelter at Skull Rock, with Steve slowly losing blood from the attack inflicted by the Demobats. Nancy suggests that they get weapons from her house as opposed to going downtown um, to Hawkins and to the police station for safety. They are suddenly shaken by earthquakes, one of Robin's irrational fears because she's clumsy as can be already, uh, and they scream and screams of various Upside Down creatures. During their travels, Eddie and Steve catch up with one another, with Eddie informing him that Nancy and Robin were not hesitant in coming after Steve, stating that if it was any other situation, he wouldn't have even bothered to help due to him believing that outside D&D, he's no hero. Eddie then tells Steve how much Dustin admires and respects him, much to the latter's shock and encourages him to try to get back together with Nancy. Shortly afterwards, they are shaken once more by earthquakes, with Nancy soon spotting her home from a distance. Back in the prison, Hopper and Antonov share their family lives with one another and concerns with their children's safety. Meanwhile, Joyce... I love Antonov. He's awesome. I can say that now. He's great. Um, Two Game of Thrones characters this season. Bringing back memories for Dylan. If you you did like Game of Thrones or watched it, you would like... His character in Game of Thrones is great, too. Antonov is from Game of Thrones and Eddie is from Game of Thrones. Yes, Eddie's a a guard. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, Joyce and Murray drive up to the prison where they are accepted inside upon verifying the hostages, Yuri also playing the part. Yuri. Uh, Yuri. Reliving another memory, Eleven is examined by Brenner and notices the troublesome state that she's in, and Brenner gathers all the children and teaches them about rules and that no one is above them. Brenner takes a look through... All the children correctly identifies two as the culprit behind Eleven's concussion and attack prior due to his egotistical remarks. 
Brenner orders him to be given a shock collar and reprimands him. <laughs> with, he went Brenner, all out on that. <laughs> with Brenner demanding. Uh, That's the part I fell asleep for, by the way. Because I was uh, okay. watching that and I'm like, whoa, what the hell? <laughs> uh,. Brenner demands uh, two to tell him what really had happened, and two convulses on the ground in pain. And then Peter Ballard uh, and the other test subjects, horrified at the sight, they're you know they're watching Boyd get shocked at you know eight point six level out of ten, uh, attempting to contact the others again. Dustin fails uh, to meet, fall. He fails, and he meets up with Lucas, who is not successful in his attempts either. And they are joined by Erica, who threatens to tell Dustin what she found underneath Lucas's bed if they didn't tell her the situation. Uh, and then Dustin has, how gross is it? A hundred. What was under Lucas's bed, Dylan? We all know the traditional Big Four sports, and we have our favorite teams and enjoy them each and every week during their seasons. But what if I told you the fastest growing sport on two feet doesn't involve football, baseball, basketball, or hockey. Come join me, Dom Ponteri, and Harrison Kremens as we break down the sport of the future each and every week on the Outside the Box podcast, talking all things pro and college lacrosse right here on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. You know. If if you had to you put know. your money on it, what was under you Lucas's know. bed? You know what it is. You know it's 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 the eighties. It's the Playboy. What up, Playboy? It's Playboy magazine, dude. And probably a bunch of wrinkled up tissues. Yeah. He's a high school kid now. He's he's on the basketball team. He's got he's got testosterone in him. Um. Lucas frantically explains their objectives and goals to Erica, who is confused as to how a gate opened up in Lover's Lake in the first place, which prompts Dustin to theorize the reasons as to why Vecna kills his victims and the connections between him and the Mind Flayer. Dustin figures out that Vecna is making powerful psychic connections with his victims just before they die in order to open new gates to the Upside Down, in order to let the Mind Flayer and his many types of minions invade their world, with Vecna possibly being the Mind Flayer's five-star general. Inside the upside-down version of the Wheeler house, Steve hears Dustin's echoes throughout the entire house and attempts to reach out to him. Nancy looks for her guns, but finds a box containing shoes she's confused about, uh, and there's the guns are missing, but notices items in her room that have been thrown away or given away years ago. Nancy reads her diary and sees that the last entry is dated November 6, 1983, which everybody knows that's the day Will Byers was kidnapped into the Upside Down and Eleven opened the gate. Uh, Nancy realizes that time has been frozen in the Upside Down and they're in the past. What was your reaction on watching that scene for the first time, realizing that the Upside Down was just stuck in time? Um. Well... I, I kind of think it's stuck in time because of who is Vecna. Um, and we can talk about that later, but when you see that person falling and becoming Vecna for the first time, it looks like the upside downs, just like clouds and mountains and like lightning. And then it magically looks like Hawkins. So I think that person crafted it to look like Hawkins based upon their memory or seeing into Hawkins. Um, so my point is, I think that somehow ties into, um, like time 
like it being stuck in time. Also, literally ever since like season one, you hear the clock in the background. Mm-hmm. So whether or not that's directing to like it being in the past, you know what I mean? Do you think the Mind Flayer is some sort of alternate universe will? A lot of people are like theorizing that like it's like the the internalized like pain that Will has, kind of like how one has, and that's why he turned into Vecna. Will's internalized pain about, you know, kind of being the outcast of the group, and, you know, from season three, you have just because you don't like girls, and then, you know, you have, there's there was a picture I saw on Facebook, it was like Stranger Things memes, and it was the scene where Victor Creel uh, and his wife are, like, standing together in the house together, like, so happy, and then uh, one is, like, in the background, just, like, by himself and then there's a parallel of mike and 11 showing up at the airport you know all over each other lovey-dovey and will's oh, just I off to the no side doubt in my mind as soon as the next episode comes and will sets foot in hawkins victor creel victor creel victor creel no but back uh, gonna go mm, target acquired this one's got a lot of depression <laughs> because i think that uh there's a scene in the trailer too for volume two that Jonathan and Will are like crying and hugging each other. And a lot of people, and I've started to kind of think this too, a lot of people are thinking that's the moment that Will comes out to Jonathan and kind of releases that weight of like, you know, feeling anchored down by something. And that could be a part of what helps, you know, <laughs> yeah, let's figure say, things out. If he doesn't get those demons off his chest, like I said, the second he steps foot in Hawkins, Indiana, Beckham's gonna go. It's like it's like the rock meme where he smells. He's just gonna go. Mm, Do you smell what Vecna is cooking? Mm, these two brothers got some emotional damage. I'm gonna kill them next. Emotional damage. Will, Will has the most, so I'm just telling oh, you. Oh, hundred percent. You better look out. Um. Which, you know, it being frozen in time kicks back to season three when they're seeing Back to the Future and everything, which is very funny. Um, yes. So then Steve urges the group to listen closely and they hear Dustin's voice in the real world version of the house. <laughs> Nancy tries to communicate through the lights as Will had once done with Joyce. And Steve points his flashlight to the chan- uh, the chandelier, which sparks light particles in the air. They realize that they can make the light fixture flash in real in the real world. And no one in the group knows Morse code, but Eddie knows the code for SOS. Back in the house, Erica notices the flickering lights and alerts Dustin and Lucas to its presence, thinking that it's Vecna. Dustin reads the code emitted through the lights and realizes that it's a call for help from the others. And back at the prison, Murray greets the Russian warden who guide Joyce and Yuri to the battle that is about to take place upon asking of Hopper's location. Joyce sees Hopper along with the other prisoners who are being instructed of the rules and are prepared for the incoming fight. After two's punishment, Eleven spends time in the Rainbow Room and notices the hostility given out by the other members of two's group. Ballard offers Eleven to play chess with him and informs her not to show any emotion upon hearing what he is about to say. Ballard tells her that two is still being monitored and an attack would happen in the Rainbow Room if he finishes his recovery with the fight being allowed to happen by Brenner as he is afraid of what she can do and how uncontrollable she might get. Ballard informs her that she has to escape today and must follow every direction given out by him and hands her the access key card, which Dylan, I don't know if you uh, notice this upon rewatch the tunnel that 11 crawls out of there. 
It's yeah. the same one she escaped from uh, in season one, which was very cool. She's yes. like, let's go. And she crawls back into the lab that way too, right? Yeah. Uh, noticing their calls for help, Dustin, Erica, and Lucas take Holly's light bright and assemble the piece. Uh, the pieces onto the board with results in communication. Those things are fun. I have one. So cool. Uh, and they are able to talk between the two groups. Dustin proposes his theory that every murder scene where Vecna has killed someone has a gate with Nancy questioning Eddie of the distance between the house uh, and his trailer. And Robin proposes that, you know, hey, Nancy, you know, even though we're stuck in time, you always had bikes. Uh, after the interrogation, Max is called by Dustin and together the four escape from the house and ride their bikes to Eddie's trailer with Erica hampering the police's chase after them, Yo. slashing them tires. It's just a misdemeanor. Bro. That was awesome. Erica's She's a wild. badass. He's wild. That's a good parallel though. Them. It's a good parallel of them both riding bikes. At the yes. Same time. And it just flipped. Um, so then, uh, you know. Callahan attempts to call for another interrogation, but spot the group's escape as the parents rush out to see their departure. At the same time, Nancy, Steve, Eddie, and Robin also ride their bikes to Eddie's trailer as a Demobat alerts Vecna about their presence. After being helped by Ballard, uh, Eleven attempts to escape and ventures deep into the basement where she meets the orderly who directs her to the escape route, but informs her that he will not come with her. Ballard informs her uh, that he has a device called Soteria, which contains a GPS chip uh, that can track him in turn, track her as well, but 11 now, volunteers. Moment, if your radars didn't already pick up that Mr. Blonde Creepy Man was, in fact, not a good man, the fact when he has a chip inhibiting his abilities and tracking him in his neck, if you didn't, if you didn't pick up the, the, the breadcrumbs yet, I'm sorry, but you're going to pick him up real soon. <laughs> that shit hurted me when that chip flew out of his neck. I was like, that would hurt. So how did he not get an artery smashed? <laughs> that shit hurted me too. That shit hurted. I would have loved the show more if when he was like, "You, I, I'm helping you. But then she's like, no, you help me. I help you. Well, I was more of a prick and she's crawled in the tube and was like, bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs> like uh, at the prison, Antonov advises his fellow prisoners to band close together and killing the beast. As the sirens go off and the men start gathering weapons, the Russian Demogorgon emerges da. from da. the gate. The, the, the Ruski Demogorgon. Uh, and begins to slaughter almost all of the prisoners within a few minutes as Hopper lights the torch at the last second, noticing Hopper's strange action. The warden orders to investigate what is going on but is held at gunpoint by Murray, who orders to let all of them go because the Americans have arrived, motherfucker. I love Murray's character. I like Murray's character, and I like that scene even more because the Russians don't give in to his commands. He has to, like, render them KO'd, you know? Like, he, mm -hmm. he asked them to, like, let it open, and the Russian commander's like, no. And then he asked the mere, like, private operating the radio room to do it. And he's like, no, I will not. And then Murray has to go and, like, freak out and then go kung fu. Love Murray. Uh, during the pit fight, Antonov and Hopper are left as the only survivors from its attacks, with Antonov attempting to pry their way out with a pickaxe while Hopper defends them with the torch, yelling, get back, get back, get back. Uh, upon the guards not cooperating, Murray knocks all of them out with Joyce beginning to figure out the buttons to open the steel gate. PTSD. 
back to when she had to close the gate. Uh, as Hopper successfully pushes the Demogorgon away, Joyce eventually opens the door and succeeds in leading Hopper and Antonov to safety and closes it once they are all in. Hopper eventually reunites with Joyce and Murray with the former embracing him and you want to talk about tugging at the heartstrings, making you cry seeing joyce and hopper back together was just much needed yes agreed i'm just worried uh that's kind of a trend this season i'm I'm, they're building us up to break us down in my opinion so one of these rekindles reconnections is not going to end or last very long Arriving at the trailer park, Steve, Nancy, Robin, and Eddie notice a gate on the roof where Chrissy had died and approaches it to find a hole opening up by Dustin, Lucas, Erica, and Max, who had also just arrived. They use the mattresses away to make sure everyone safely lands, and they throw a sheet to the opposite side as a way of entering the trailer. I love how that like conceptualized, where they threw it down, and it's like, oh, it's coming down the way it's supposed to, uh, defying all laws of physics. Yeah, so if you were like perfectly centered like in the middle like if you had half your body in the one and the other would you just float right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah they defied all laws of physics with the upside down uh robin and eddie end up making their way to the other side and when nancy tries to climb she's put in a trance state by vecna's curse with her spiritual self landing in an eerie pool where Barb's body is shown with Vecna taunting Nancy with her traumatic memories and guilt due to letting Barb die. And we find out that Vecna is actually the one that killed Barb. Uh, and in the oh. memory, that was wild. That was a, what a, what a way to tie in season one. Um, in the memory, Eleven manages to extract the chip from Ballard's neck with the pair soon spotted by guards shortly after, and they take off. Finding themselves cornered, Ballard reveals his powers, using them to kill the guards, much to Eleven's shock. Uh, And Ballard reveals himself to be one and tells her to stay put in the room until he finds them a way out. After a period of waiting, Eleven hears the sirens and discovers screams emitted from the walkie-talkie via her abilities, and she frantically begins to look for Ballard. Eventually finding corpses of orderlies, test subjects, and guards alike along the way, She eventually reaches the Rainbow Room to discover that Ballard is the culprit behind the massacre in 1979, much to the shock of Eleven as he finishes off two. Upon noticing Eleven standing behind him, he somberly states that he asked her to wait. Elsewhere in the Upside Down, Nancy manages to crawl out of the tub and into Vecna's lair, where Vecna begins to show her the true events of what had happened at the Creole house due to him being amused that Nancy had nearly solved his mystery. (laughs) A flashback to 1959 shows that Victor Creel's son, Henry Creel is shown to be different from the other kids. Henry thought that humans infected the natural order of the world, which he despised because uh, to him, it was continuing the same meaningless things every day, seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, you die. <laughs> I was like, okay, pal. Dude, it was a good monologue, though. Oh, yeah. This is one of the coolest and like most like eerie monologues, I think, in recent TV history. Um, a lesser copy of the day before repeating over and over. Victor thought that a new change of scenery could heal his quote-unquote condition, and Henry is also shown to have a fascination in Black Widow spiders and the old grandfather clock. 
Henry soon discovers that he has supernatural abilities which allow him to reach into one's mind, and he proceeds to use his power on a rabbit to kill it brutally, indicating that he is the culprit of all the dead animals laying around the house. Yeah, he further he's used, a killer. He's, he's a crazy one. He further uses his abilities in projecting images into the minds of his father and mother, as well as tormenting his younger sister, Alice. His mother, Virginia, somehow suspects that the events caused around the house is that to be of her son and calls a doctor to help deal with the problem. Knowing what his mother had did, Henry kills her on the fateful dinner night and kills Alice as well. While attempting to kill his father by showing Victor visions of his haunting past, uh, he reaches his breaking point and falls into a coma. Victor is soon arrested and falsely accused for Henry's crime while Henry is brought over to Dr. Martin Brenner, who is the doctor that his mother had called prior. Following his capture, Brenner begins the program that sought to recreate Henry's abilities onto other children after installing the Soteria device into his neck when he realizes he can't be controlled, with Henry being one and disguised as a friendly orderly named Peter Ballard. Henry, who genuinely cared about Eleven, attempts to persuade her to joining his cause to eradicate humanity and restore balance to the natural order, but is rejected by Eleven, who proceeds to throw him against the wall, and Eleven just going, no, and just Boom, that was so badass. Millie Bobby Brown fucking rules. Um, yes. <laughs> the pair engages in an intense fight with Henry nearly killing her, but the latter edges him out by recalling a happy memory where she was first born into the world. This gives off massive energy readings back in the Nina facility where Owens and Brenner realize that Eleven's powers are coming back, and Eleven then uses her newfound strength to pin Henry against the wall, nearly disintegrating him, and transports him to the Upside Down, drawing parallels to Season 1 when Eleven absolutely eviscerates the Demogorgon up against the wall in the classroom. Uh, Henry is heavily mutilated by streaks of lightning caused by the Mind Flayer, and he is disfigured and transformed into the monster that is Vecna, revealing the true identity of the monster that was behind the recent killings in Hawkins. As he retains his psychic connection to Nancy, a small vine unravels off his arm, revealing the tattoo that branded him as number one. And that is how volume one of Stranger Things season four ended. Banger. This was a masterpiece finale to a, a part of a season that is setting up for about four hours of content jam-packed into two episodes. Episode eight is going to be an hour and 25 minutes, and episode nine is going to be two hours and 38 minutes. We are getting a full-length feature our, film. Can't give our full show review yet. <laughs> can't give the full show review, um, but I thought this episode was so fucking cool, and what a way to just reveal your big bad, reveal somebody who's kind of been lurking in the shadows since the beginning of this show, Yeah, and you get an answer to where all the other kids had been, what happened to them, and then who the hell one was, and I love the subtle drop that all of this happened after eight had escaped. That's true. Makes you think. So a, I'm going to give this, sh this episode a nine point two. Uh, and then B my theory. Now we can talk about this real quick is that I did the math. It checks out. He's old enough is that all the kids were made from one. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think it's much, I, I think it's, it's like a theory, but I think that honestly makes sense because yeah. realistically, how else are a bunch of how like nine other psychic children all around the same age? Like from like it seems like four, five, six ish to like ten, and the kid or the kid, not not the kid, Mister Creel would be in his late twenties when we're watching him being orderly. So the math checks out. He's physically old enough to have kids. He'd be like 17, 18, 19 when he uh, was milked, so to speak for his psychic powers um, for the other kids. Um, I think it makes sense. It's, it's, it's messed up. I think that'd be another thing you learn about Dr. Brenner to kind of throw you. Cause the whole thing of Brenner is you go like left, right, left, right. Like yeah. he's nice, but he's, Bad, but he's nice. This season definitely swung the pendulum back to being like, oh, Brenner's like a good guy. Yeah. Um, but if we learn that he used this kid as like a breathing instrument, like they do with horses, like for horse racing for the Derby, then that might change the way you look at him ethically. And then we'll see how, whether there's, you know what I mean? And we'll also see if that's the case. I also think uh, there's a theory out there that Miss Wheeler. Is this is the daughter? Because you don't see her te- the daughter of the Creel daughter. Because you don't technically see her die. Like her body doesn't get disfigured. She just like dies. Interesting. And that would tie them together. So either way, either one of those theories, uh, Mike's <laughs> dating a relative. <laughs> oh wow! Um, I like the theory that's been floating around everywhere of the social worker having the key. That has the clock on it, and every. I still don't student... know why she'd be tied into being bad. She's yeah, just... I don't know if she's just maybe she's you know. Maybe maybe, maybe he picked her. Maybe maybe that's Eight's mom. Mm, true. Um, but I I do like that because the clock that is in the Creel house the Creel house has a key uh hole on the the grandfather clock, so that's interesting. I don't know if that's just like a hidden Easter egg to kind of like tie. Every kid that has gone and seen her ends up with Vecna because she's like the key to the trauma. Um, but my big theory for these final two episodes is that we are going to get redemption for season two, Dylan. I think eight is going to come back Whoa. because if you, you kick your mind back to season two, eight was the one telling Eleven to unlock the full potential of her powers. And that's when she was able to close the gate in season two, started levitating and everything. Um, I think eight's going to come back and team up with 11 to fight Vecna, which would be really freaking cool. Uh, and I think it would give a lot of redemption to what season two was is kind of being the lesser of the four seasons so far. Well, I think that's part of how good the other seasons. Were. Oh yeah. hundred percent. No offense to the actress, but the, the, the eight storyline was what was received so poorly that I, I, I'm sure they're skeptical if they are bringing her back just because of how poorly it tracked. It would be interesting, though, two psychics versus one. I'm not knocking that. Um, it's a decent theory to have. It makes sense. I mean, like, why bring her up and then never use her again? Yeah. But at the same time, if it truly did that bad and only Netflix has the true numbers because they can look at views and clicks and downloads per episode, if that episode is truly that much lower than every other one, then maybe we never see her again. And they just kind of like, that's the one retconning they do inside the show. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's like there, but not really. Do you think somebody's going to die? 100%. 
who are you putting your your bet on of not making it out to get to season five? Nancy or Steve? Really? Again, the whole podcast hosted by Steve McAvoy and John Mavalia. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Get In The Whole Pod and be on the lookout for a ton of great content keeping you up to date on the world of golf. Releasing weekly a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family of podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite shows. See, the Nancy and Jonathan couple, right? I'm not going to too much into this because I, I could care less. That's, a, that's not why I watch TV shows. They are very safe, but they're kind of boring. But they're falling out on each other, but it's not like they're mad at each other. They didn't sleep with our people. Jonathan's so family-driven, and so is Nancy. So he knows that if he tells her, like like he says, you know, I want to stay here, she'll drop her dreams. So, like, that's like true love, in my opinion, because they both are so invested in the others. I'm not saying she, doesn't, she could finally like, like or love Steve, mm-hmm. but, like, the only thing she demonstrates to like love Steve is she gets a little like nervous, but you know, who wouldn't? Steve's hot. And then secondly, she jumps in to save him, but they also did date. So it's kind of like they're exes, but they've also gone through so many turmoils together. So it's like they have that bond. Like they all, the whole crew has that bond. Yeah. They're all age difference and different circles of life. Um, so my point is like, I think it's trying to do that on purpose because it kind of wants you to like pick her side. And I'm just thinking that the love triangle might not go on that much longer because someone might die in that love triangle. And because Jonathan's not physically in Hawkins yet, and unless they drive super fast, cause they're kind of far away, they probably would, I would guess you probably agree. You might not see that crew until the last episode of the season. I think they're going to get there at some point because they're they're yeah, going to get a letter. It, it might take the last like episode nine. Yeah, I saying. which is going to be a full length feature film. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they're meeting up with Eleven in Nevada after they got everything from Susie. Like they got the directions and everything. Um, I think everyone survives this season. I don't you know think why. Stuff on a you think. Someone dies, then okay. So, I've heard two things. People either agree with me, or they go by what you're saying. But you might agree with this. The people who are saying what you're saying think someone's going to die very early, season five. Though. Yes, like episode one, season five. Yeah. Like, okay. I think I think they're going to wait to to mark somebody of Rock note. Value, get you in for another season. Yeah. <laughs> whether whether it's Steve, Nancy, Hopper somebody from se- this season is going to die early on. I also if Steve dies, I think Justin dies. Or not, not, not Justin, Dustin, not Justin. Really? Yeah, because there's that, there's a couple times where they make remarks like, if you die, I die. True. That's season three. And they That's are why like, I don't think Steve dies. I hope not. It would devastate the little rascal. Because I saw a theory so too that, because you know how the Duffer brothers have said they want to do like spinoff series of, you know, building around Hawkins and everything. Yeah. Somebody suggested that they want a like buddy coworker series of Steve and Robin where the end of every season they get fired from the job they're at and then season or the next season episode 1 they have to go get a new job. Because <laughs> cool. we've seen that twice already, where they lost the ice cream job, and now they gotta go and uh, work at the video the ice cream store. Job wasn't their fault. The mall burned yeah. down. 
and was occupied by the Ruskies. Um, I also need a, an answer as to how the Demogorgons ended up in Russia. Because in season three, which you and I have recently watched together, yeah. uh, not together, but at the same time, they failed to open the gate in Russia. They gave our boy, uh, rest in peace, slushy man, a year to figure things out. And then that's when they were in the mall doing things. This is where I think the pendulum swings back on Brenner being bad. Because we don't know where Brenner was this entire time from season one of him getting attacked by the Demogorgon and Hawkins to now. I feel like there's some sort of backdoor deal with him and the Russians. That he had the key to unlocking that gate that didn't have enough power to open up in Russia. He gets it unlocked. Because when we see the trailer for season two, there's like Demogorgons and stuff from the Upside Down like in Amber almost. Similar to what we saw in Obi-Wan well, maybe, Kenobi. Maybe he goes and works in Russia after he dies in season one. Yeah. And then and there's the Mind Flayer piece like swirling around in that plexiglass like room. Hmm. Maybe it kind of works like, uh, like a portal in terms of like maybe if it's open because we don't know how the upside down works. Like yeah. we don't know if like if you and I went in the upside down in Hawkins, can we just keep walking to Jersey? Like is right. it the whole United States, or is it only because Dracula, Victor Creel created Hawkins, and if you walk far enough, you just flat Earth theory right fall into nothingness? You know what I mean? Yeah, Same I thing with the Russian one. Question. Maybe the Russians have their own psychic. And they're, they're, you go and you can enjoy an even shittier version of Russia upside down. What if eight's in Russia? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe Papa captured her and made her build stuff for the Ruskies. There's so much to understand about, like, the Russian aspect going into these final two episodes. Well, the Russian aspect is just really, and and as much as I want to, there is stuff to it, but ultimately is the best tribute gag in the fact that every 80s action movie oh yeah the antagonist was russian and then yes. the brothers was like well this is an 80s show we got russians i feel like there is some sort of layer to it that we should oh, well, it's we, we like, should be service to in this finale. yeah no i, I agree it's just kind of like the arms race though in terms of like, oh yeah it's it's cold war yeah but my point is i think that's that's what it is without even having to explain yeah. it it's like they knew that we unlocked a portal. Whether Brenner was the rat, that's a good theory. I like that. They wanted to do their own. They realized there's freaking monsters there. Well, I want a Russian monster with sickle on chest. Yeah. And then they did that. You know what I mean? That's just literally, it's like it's like little kids. Yeah. Or it's big kids, like we, you know, the analogy you put on table, essentially. Yes. <laughs> that's what they're doing with the upside down. And it's and then- working terribly. My biggest question that I need answered, which we will get an answer to in these final two episodes. Dylan, what song do you think Eddie is shredding on his guitar? I think Master of Puppets. Okay. That's a, I like that guess. I think Master of Puppets or... Because I feel like he's playing Nancy's favorite song to get her to get well, out Nancy, of... the only... Nah. Well, she's a Top Gun poster. Could we get Danger Zone? Well, the the poster of Tom Cruise, it was pre-Top Gun. It was Risky Business. Oh. That wouldn't fit the Eddie. Right. Like, it has to be. So, I, a metalhead. <laughs> I saw a theory that 
the song that would take her to a potentially good memory was her and Steve when they were like making out. They were making out to Africa by Toto. I don't think that would. It would be hilarious, but we know. What I think I think it's going to be an Ozzy Osbourne song because he brought up to Steve, yo, that was metal. Like he bit the bat head off like Ozzy. I think it might be. I think Crazy Train is up there. And then we know Will and Jonathan will be the Clash. Yes. Should I stay or should I go? But well, Eddie is shredding on that guitar, and I can't wait to see what song it is. He's probably likely to die, though, too, honestly. Well, funny you should bring that up. Uh, I was going to save it for streaming platform multiverse news and notes, but it does make sense to what we're talking about now. Uh, our boy, Eddie Munson, is on the record, Dylan, saying... He'll be devastated if he's not asked back for season five. Hmm. They worded it kind of like he's not dying. So here's the exact quote. Although he could be doing that on purpose. I'm sorry. Joseph Quinn hopes he's in Stranger Things season five. Quote, I'll be furious if they don't bring me back. Uh, On the finale. Quote, I can say there's a guitar scene and that the scale and ambition are astonishing. It's just carnage. You know, the finale is two and a half hours, right? Ending with this monster feature-length episode is so bold. I love that. Hopefully, he hopefully he's not Rick rolling us, and he's that'd be a fun song. No. <laughs> oh. Um, also, last bit of Stranger Things stuff. I just recently watched it for Geeked Week on Netflix. They had uh, on the Netflix uh, YouTube channel. They did a one-off D and D campaign with Finn Wolfhard, uh, the actress who plays Erica. Joseph Quinn and Gaten Matarazzo, uh, which was very, very entertaining. It was about like an hour and a half. And uh, if you're a D&D fan or if you're just a fan of Stranger Things, I recommend watching it because it was very, awesome. very entertaining. Uh, let's hit up Jersey City, Dylan, and head to Miss Marvel. Uh, episode three, Destined by Mira Menon, who uh, was the director for this episode. I really like this episode the most so far of any of the. Uh, the I would say I like it the most so far as well. Did you notice what was on the ground when they were in the flashback during partition and they find the bangle on the blue arm? Hello, Cree. Uh, Did you see what was on the floor in that like dungeon or whatever it was? No, I think I did. No, I just I was I was fixated on the blue arm. To be honest, there was a ten ring symbol, Dylan. Oh shit! <laughs> I I, I saw that. that on a just like going through watching back doing notes for this episode. The Bengals related to the Ten Rings one way or another, which is has my mind going all over the place in terms of the on... Shang Chi post credit scene. <laughs> I was just focused on the blue arm because I was thinking of the genie from Aladdin. <laughs> which, in my defense. Boy, was I fucking way ahead of the episode. <laughs> I got off. <laughs> uh, that was that whole scene to me was wild. That one homegirl that we see throughout this episode is not related to her. Realistically, it's it's not her, you know, great grandmother or whatever it is. It's a different person because her great grandmother was who walked into that room and found the bangle. Yeah. Um, so we have Najma explaining that. She and Kamran are part of a group of enhanced beings known as the Clandestines, Dylan, or the Genie. Dylan, the Clandestines are such a deep cut in Marvel lore uh, that 
I think they did this to just have creative freedoms and not really piss anybody off. Yeah, me too. Because the clandestines, uh, it's an appellation used to refer to the Destins, a fictional secret family of long-lived superhumans appearing in uh, the Marvel comics. They were created in 1994. Um it's such a deep cut and yeah i i'm not mad about it i think this is a smart move by marvel where they're still trying to navigate the whole inhuman incorporation to the mcu um so calling these people clandestines i'm cool with that i think this is a fun way to introduce another deep cut to the mcu yeah it just, it's just kind of like it makes you like I, I honestly forgot what the, what the clandestines even were like yeah. there's so many there's so many like random like factions like you were saying of like deep background characters and that's kind of what they are like unless you're a really big <laughs> clandestine fan like, <laughs> which I think there's maybe like three of them out there <laughs> I just because they're you know they're like another they're one and the same like there's quite a few um like races of, of people on earth that aren't actually human and, and they fit the bill, but they look exactly like human and there's not mm-hmm. much differences in terms of like the show so far. Like I know in the comics and I was looking at the pictures, like some of them look kind of weird, but yeah, ultimately they mostly look humanoid and they don't, and they're just, you know what I mean? So it's like, that's like a bunch of things that fit that bill. <laughs> yeah. They were exiled from another dimension and that Aisha was one of them. Uh, she reveals that the bangle might be able to help them return to their own dimension and ask for Kamala's help. Kamala decides to try and help the clandestine, but Bruno warns her that interdimensional travel could be dangerous, so she asks Kamran for more time to ensure that they do it safely. Kamran agrees, but Najma decides to force Kamala to help them. Kamala's brother Amir marries his fiance Taisha. The wedding scene was so cool. Like the, the choreography cool. that they used, it was so awesome. Um, Kamran the dance, cra- awesome, dude. the dance scene was so cool. The choreography, whoever the choreographer was, job well done. Hats off to you. Um, Kamran agrees, um, to you know, give her more time, and then he crashes the wedding instead to warn Kamala just before the clandestines arrive. And Kamala, Bruno, and Kamran are overpowered by clandestine, uh, and Najma trying to use Kamala's bangle, which triggers a vision of a train once again. The DODC agents arrive and capture the clandestine, including Kamran, while Kamala and Bruno escape. In the process, however, Nakia sees Kamala's powers. Sana contacts Kamala and reveals that she also saw the vision of the train and insists that Kamala and Muniba must come visit her in Karachi. Uh, also, a bunch of stuff in this episode, you know. I, I like how they kind of made it uncomfortable in a way where they, they continued to dive into kind of the racial profiling yeah. with the DODC and True. they were like, nah, we're not dealing with that stuff. Uh, and I like how the, the higher up from their temple um, kind of knows that Kamala is Miss Marvel and was like, Hey, good is not something you are. It's what you do. That was a great line. Uh, superhero show line. Um, I'm loving the character development that they're using for Kamala. I think she's getting like, as the show has gone on so far through the first three episodes, she's getting more and more like confident and comfortable being the the person that she is. And I'm liking the, the character development of the people around her as well. I really like Bruno's character. I really like, uh, Nakia's character, 
Her parents are great. I think these yeah. are some of the best parents we've gotten in the MCU so far. Well, I actually I agree with the parent take. That's the hundred and twelve percent. So it's kind of crazy, right? Because like I'm not the biggest fan of the show, but the fact that I'm still watching it and this is great. I like the cultural differences. That's the fact that I'm mm-hmm. still like showing up and watching it because it's it's interesting to see like a culture that obviously me growing up as a an Italian man in New Jersey, New Jersey. Like I don't, I you know, what I mean, I don't know. Like I've seen some 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 aspects of this culture in my di- everyday life. I've been part of uh, like not a wedding, but I was part of like a, a party years ago that was of that religion, but it wasn't like it wasn't as lit as the show. Um, yeah. So it's just cool seeing that, and it's cool seeing a superhero to like fit what I'm seeing via the show and what I've known from real life, and have it all kind of come together as one cohesive like thing. So that's cool, and uh, the plot's not terrible. Something about it, I don't know what it is because I generally just like the the culture aspect of it. There's something about it I can't really get behind it yet. Although I don't hate it, it's kind of like in that uh, like Hawkeye territory for me in terms of like the it's like in the Hawkeye and the um, Winter Soldier, the Captain America Falcon show. Like they're all I'm not saying they're all better or not better than each other, but they're all kind of in the same bracket where it's just kind of like they're not bad. But they're not at that like low key level. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those things where it is such a new character, and so many people have been an- annoyed, as I put air quotes up for the people just listening, um, that her powers were changed. I like the way that they're doing it though, because it's showing that her powers are going to be more developed the more she, you know, develops as a character, and the the more comfortable she gets with them. We've seen that in the first three episodes; like she's getting more and more like adjusted yeah. to what her powers are and then once they're ready to introduce the Terrigen Mist and the Inhumans and stuff that's when the hard light is going to turn and Dylan as we all know so far through every single Marvel show we've gotten on Disney Plus since WandaVision episode 4 is the banger episode dude I don't know what it is that's the one where things go boom and <laughs> wait, that's next week wait episode 4? Yeah, fantastic 4? Maybe <laughs> Kyle's making weird. weird uh, you see my arm stretching like I'm Reed Richards. Um, like yes, we're, we're getting her having to travel to go see her grandmother, which is in Karachi, the largest city in Pakistan, the That's 12th cool. largest city in the world. I'm excited for the uh, the culture shock, so to speak, in terms of like being able to experience another like culture through the median that is the show. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see that. Yeah, and I think the way that they introduce, like, oh, yeah, you're, you know, you're Jin, you know, and that's her biggest fear is, like, having nightmares. Like, we saw that in episode one, I think, her brother being like, oh, or, you know, you still need the lights on, or are you afraid of the Jin? She's afraid of what she might be. Um, yeah, I guess the-, the bad guys kind of so far, not to knock, I, I agree with you earlier, by the way, they chose it on purpose, but the likewise, to me, I think what sets a show, a movie apart is the antagonist. And I still don't think we really know who it is. That's true. That's true. Because there's like multiple little, but that's the problem. It's like miniature. It's like miniature antagonists. And I don't necessarily like that just because the genies, I'm going to call them genies because. Yeah, that's what they are. They're clandestines or, you know, in Pakistan, they're referred to as genies or jinn. Yeah. 
and you never trust genies because they believe in horoscopes and stuff. Uh, okay, <laughs> they believe in like. I also in- love Bruno being the typical white boy. I'm a genie and tonic. <laughs> uh yeah, but like my point is like they don't really like they're as of now like we'll probably learn more evil they've done, but they they just want to go home. Do you? I'm wondering if the djinn or the clandestines, if they're tied in with Wenwu and the Ten Rings. I know I the temple was there. I'm not sure how but... they're tied. They're obviously going to change it because I was looking up right now as you were talking. Apparently in the MCU, they become superheroes. Yes. So it's like... And also they, it's like, they, are they lying? True. True. Maybe they're not clandestines at all. Maybe they're fibbing. Although the ancient script that seemed pretty on par to what we were already told to the more realistic version of like you know I mean like what their um, fate is. And it also makes you wonder why are they banned from their initial right. realm or place of uh, of living to Earth. And you know, the Eternals have been brought up in this show when they when they mentioned Kingu. Um, now we get the Ten Rings connection. We've gotten potentially Kree with that blue arm. That was I watch internals still wild to me. Um, I think that this show has the components to really, really pop off in the second half of its run with episodes four, five, and six. Now that they've kind of given you a taste of who Kamala is, who her family is, who the side characters are, and now we're getting a little more plot. We've gotten some Marvel Easter eggs. The DODC being involved is a very unexpected but welcome twist. Um, episode four is where things pop off. And if we're going to be in Pakistan next week She's for off. episode four where she meets up, uh, you know, with her, with Sana and having Kamala and Muniba visit her in Karachi, like the fact that she saw the vision as well. Something tells me we're going to access that, you know, version of the ancestral plane for the the Pakistan religion next week. Yeah, it'd be kind of cool to see how they do that, too. Like where, like what direction they go, like just everything, like colors, landscaping, etc. I'm, I'm just curious because it's a different religion. I don't mm-hmm. know about it. So I'm curious to see what we just got that introduced to us in Moon Knight where it's like. Yeah, the the ancestral plane is different for, you know, T'Challa as it is for Mark Spector. And... Like my ancestral plane would be like about to be like a maybe some sauce and some gravy and some pasta on the table. You'd be on a big pizza pie. That's amore. Uh... <laughs> yeah, it's just Dean Martin serenading. <laughs> I the the subtlety of the Easter eggs in this episode of what this show could really tie into in the overarching MCU. Kamala also getting her newly updated Miss Marvel mask was very cool uh, from Bruno. Oh, that's cool. Um, I'm intrigued because, you know, we we took a peek at the IMDb and Red Dagger is listed as a character in this episode. I'm I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that there isn't really a villain introduced yet because it's kind of keeping me on my toes. It's like, what's going to happen? Like, I, I like having that in front of me of, like, well, not knowing. The shadows, whoever it is. Or they're yeah. not. Or they're not formed yet. Right. And I feel like now that we've gotten this piece of, you know, technology introduced with the bangle, we've gotten 
the Ten Rings introduced in Shang-Chi. There's a lot of ancient artifacts running around the MCU now, and I'm intrigued to see where they all tie in and how they could tie in uh, with what's going on in Phase 4. I, I'm really enjoying the, the characters of this show. Like I said, I like Kamala's, yeah. Kamala's great. Her two friends are awesome. Uh, the DODC being a bunch of douchebags is great. Uh, and I love her parents. Her parents are the best parents in the I like her dad going down to the circle queue and being like, don't tell my wife I'm buying a fruit pie. Like, <laughs> yeah, it <does. laughs> was great. Um, so I'm enjoying it from that aspect and just the freshness and newness of a, a new character being in the MCU. Uh, what would you give episode three titled Destined, Dylan? I'd give it a 7.1. That's my highest score yet for this show. It's trending upwards. My laptop is not charging. But anyway, that's a side note. But um, no, I, I liked it. The characters were, excuse me, getting better developed. Uh, the wedding was awesome. That alone gave it like three or four points. And yeah. it's cool to see a superhero not white. 100%. I'm going to give this one a 7.8 just because... There's still so many questions that need to be answered. And we all know episode four is where the dynamite goes boom. And that's what's <laughs> going to happen next week when we get episode four. Only three episodes left of Miss Marvel uh, on the docket, which is crazy to think about. And then uh, no Marvel content until August when we get I Am yeah. Groot and we get She-Hulk. Um, but Dylan, it is time to get to everybody's favorite segment that's named after something We'll talk about in this segment. Bolts. It is. It's the streaming platform, Multiverse News and Notes, brought to you by our pals over at Pickup. You guys can go to playpickup.com, start playing the hottest headlines in sports. Rack up points on your fan profiles. Cash them in for prizes. That's playpickup.com. Dylan, first things first, this episode uh, is going to kick off the, the streaming platform multiverse news and notes with what this segment's named after. We started this when, uh, we started naming this, I should say, when we started talking about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness that is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. What? I have to watch that again. So Doctor Strange, now viewable for the people who missed it in theaters. Uh, so go check that out. Dylan and I will probably give our official review on that in the near future. Uh, Dylan, the Game of Thrones universe is expanding. I don't know if you saw this. Yes, yes I did. So spinoffs that are in development for Game of Thrones. Obviously we're getting House of the Dragon later this summer. That sounds like the like a, a karate movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we are getting a Jon Snow series rumored to be titled Return of the King. That's pretty dope, actually. We are getting a series spinoff called, the, you know, titled around the Sea Snake. Okay. Uh, 10,000 Ships, Dunk and Egg, what? The Golden Empire. Okay. And two more animated series. Ooh. Ooh. Kill so that is where the Game of Thrones expansion is. That, that old vine. Ooh. Ooh kill him. I'm a little Terrio. Ooh. Um, we have. Uh, where did it go? We got our first look at the orcs in The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, coming to Amazon Prime this fall. 
they look scary as fuck. Um, they do, do be scary. They do be scary. Uh, we did get the new trailer for Stranger Things Volume 2. We tweeted that out. Make sure you guys go check that out before you watch the new season. There's a lot of new footage in there, which yes, is exciting. Um, Ewan McGregor wants to keep playing Obi-Wan Kenobi after the series ends. Quote, I hope it's not the last time I play him. I had such a great time doing this. I'm sure we can think of a few more stories before I turn into Alec Guinness. Don't you think? Yeah, and Hayden also wants to reprise Darth Vader again. I'm about it. I would not hate that one bit, uh, especially with Hayden, because I think he's he's getting his redemption arc that he rightfully deserves. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we have news on one of my favorite projects that's been in the works, Dylan. The Russo brothers will produce. Guy Ritchie will direct Disney's live-action Hercules remake. Oh, that's, that's wild. I can't wait. Um, that is one of the remakes I've been waiting for for a long, long time. Um, they say who they're going to cast. They are. They. It's been kind of like script writing recently. They haven't really cast anything. A lot of people have just been fan casting a ton. I do this probably once a month with either my theater friends or with Stephen McAvoy. Ironically, uh, tell me Willem Dafoe would not be an awesome Hades. He would. Who would you have for Hercules, though? It had to be a young, younger kid. Yeah. And so, you know what I mean? You got to think of that. Um, That'll be something we eventually do on this show is just cast Hercules for the people. We can just cast shows when they get dropped, too, yeah. for upcoming, like, Marvel, Disney, Star Wars, or, like, Game of Thrones, like, big TV shows. Chris Evans, Dylan, said that he would, quote, do anything to be in a Star Wars film. Even if I was just a stormtrooper, I'd be thrilled. Interesting. Chris Evans, yeah, uh, you want to play a uh, bounty hunter or something? Speaking of Chris Evans, he would love to return as the Human Torch in the MCU's multiverse. "Quote: That would actually be an easier sell to me than coming back as Cap." <laughs> That's so wild. He said, "Johnny Storm, I feel like he didn't really get his day. That was before Marvel really found its footing. I love that role." Unfortunately, I don't want him to come back as that. I want someone else to take on that. I would only want it as like one of those like Easter egg, Easter egg like fan servicey things, and then it's just like eh, you're done. Just murk them off. Uh, Dylan, we're old. Toy Story three came out twelve years ago this week. <laughs> yeah, I think I saw that in eighth grade. <laughs> yes, twenty. 20- 12 years in 2010 I, I was in like sophomore year summer or freshman year summer that's crazy i saw that we went after my like dance in eighth grade we went <laughs> yeah uh we got a new poster for house of the dragon i mean i know i'm not a game of thrones guy but i will say the the posters and just the the visual is very very cool i bet Wyatt Russell is just waiting on the call to return as U.S. agent in the Thunderbolts. I liked him as U.S. agent. I did, too. Uh, He said, just tell me when you want me to show up. Other than that, just keep me in the dark. I don't care. And if you do tell me, tell me in enough time where I can get in the gym because right now I don't look like John Walker. (laughs) I like that. It's honesty. Um, 
John, that's ironic too. He's actually one of the aspects I did like about the show. Yes, hundred percent. Apparently, we're getting a Hunger Games prequel, which yeah, to me, don't know why. Um, it's interesting. Benedict Cumberbatch would love to make Doctor Strange three. Quote: There is so much more to explore with him. He's such a brilliant character, and I'm still having a wild time playing him. He's such a rebel and a renegade. I've always been drawn to characters like that. Buddy, let me tell you, we are going to get a Doctor Strange 3. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Yeah, that shit's cooking. Uh, this one will make you happy. I just saw this, too. So we we've, we talked about it on this show where the writers for the new Deadpool movie are the Bob's Burgers writers. Yes. You know who the director is? I don't know. Tell me. It is Sean Levy, who is one of the head writers from Stranger Things. Okay, that's why that name sounded familiar. I was like, huh. He's like the Duffer Brothers, like, right-hand man on Stranger Things, which, if he's directing Deadpool... That's a good That's a good sign. That's a good sign. Uh, and Deadpool 3 writers say it's a, quote, fish-out-of-water story. Deadpool is a lunatic at the center of a movie. To drop a lunatic into a very sane world, it's straight butter. And that is via the post-cred pod. I love that. <laughs> um, the... The big thing that I have uh, for our, our multiverse news and notes here. Did you see the the remake intro, Dylan, for the Office to yeah the market minions. the Minions movie yeah. Rise of Gru? I'm not sure if I liked that or didn't like it because it kind of felt sacrilegious because of how devoted of an Office fan I am, but I do applaud their creative in- ingenuity to like take something that's golden and like you know spot uh, spoof it but yeah i saw it <laughs> i thought that was so funny um they did a really good job with that you brought up hero gasm from season three of the boys dylan uh do you want to know the comics background of <laughs> this title no i don't because <laughs> i also don't follow the comics and i also heard by the way this is a fun fact about the show i've heard Unlike other Marvel comic book stuff, Invincible, I've heard the comic books for this series are literal dog shit. Like, I've countless people I know that have read it, and I've seen it on TikToks. They said it's written, the dude writes it like a sixth grade level. So you're, if, you, if, you, if Sarah ever saw it, she'd probably throw up. <laughs> and it has, I mean, granted, the show has the tones, but it's more to bring light to it. But the comics are so bad. It just has a bunch of gore, and it's, like, borderline, like, homophobic and, like, racist. And that's why I was like, I will never read the source material. There's no reason to. <laughs> so, just for the people at home, it, it makes me laugh here what this one's about. Uh, in the comics, Herogasm is an annual festival where superheroes meet in secret on a remote island for a Vought-sponsored orgy. Sounds like something we've had in real life that uh, is run by the initials J.E. Yeah, it's not some... Um, the last bit here, uh, we're getting a remastered version of the Titanic what? that will release in February 2023. Who in cares? Theaters. There's enough room for two on the fucking boat, the door, the wood. Don't the know wood. who asked for that. The door. Uh... Now that I have Hulu, I do want to check this show out, Dylan. It's uh, a Hulu original, Only Murders in the Building, uh, with Selena Gomez. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and that whole crew there. Season 2 is at 100% on Rotten Tomatoes with 18 reviews. 
wow, that's pretty good. Um, so that's definitely something I want to check out. Um, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick on making Morbius jokes in Deadpool 3. <laughs> we haven't seen Morbius. We haven't seen the memes. But now it's on our radar. Now we'll have to. I love it. <laughs> so we are 100% getting a It's Morbin time in Deadpool. Um, I don't have anything. You've, you've took two or three of the things I was going to say. So Last bit here. Michael Waldron says that Wasp was in the Illuminati for the first draft of Multiverse Madness. Hmm. Wasp shrunk down and flew at Wanda, and Wanda just clapped her hands and just smushed the Wasp in the first draft. I would have loved that, as messed up as that sounds for me to say that, and that to be in the script. That's an but, interesting... Uh, you know what else I love, Kyle? What do you love, Dylan? I love when people watch our show, leave reviews, good reviews, by the way, we have standards, and they let us know recommendations on what to watch. And I'm saying this because I always say it, uh, <laughs> and I mean it. Because I've listened, I've started two shows I've been recommended. Kyle has started a show he's been recommended before. And Kyle and I can also, if you like a show so much and tell us, you know, we have family and friends who listen to our opinions, we can literally spread the show. And we can make content out of it. Or we can at least, you know, bring awareness to this criminally underrated TV show that you feel like we have to do on the show. 100%. Uh, and here's an interesting quote to wrap up this segment. Brad uh -oh. Pitt says he's on the last leg of his film career. Legend. I could see that. He's getting older. He wants to just, you know, chill and live his life. Um, but make sure you guys are following us on the Twitter machine at streamer S Z N Twitter, Instagram, follow Dylan on Twitter at Dylan Mazzola. Follow me at KBIZZL311. Check out the website, undergroundsportsphiladelphia.com. I am going to try to talk to Pat Pitt since he is a big Westworld guy and it comes back this weekend. Good. See if he wants to do blog reviews of Westworld for us uh, since his brother is a uh, producer on the show. Uh, and, of course, subscribe to the podcast feed, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there. Subscribe to the Underground Sports Philadelphia YouTube channel. Hit the like button, click the bell icon, and comment down below with your recommendations for shows and movies, how you feel about Obi-Wan Kenobi's finale, Stranger Things going into Volume 2 of Season 4, and yeah. how you're feeling about Miss Marvel or any show you're watching. Of course, just let us know in the comment section. Big thank you to our sponsors, Tomahawk Shades, Kenwood Beer, and Bino Board. All of their information are in the show notes or the description below on YouTube. Use our codes. Help us out because it keeps this show running. Uh, this has been another episode of Streamer Season, the exclusive TV and movie podcast on the Underground Sports Philadelphia Podcast Network. For Dylan, I'm KB, and until next week, hello there. Hello there.